0: And I used the same rating scale, you know, basically that I had developed for the DMT experience to, you know, categorize or characterize the prophetic state. So, you know, that was a fairly, you know, tedious, you know, process. And it was also quite, you know, gratifying because I've got to tell you, I was, you know, kind of spouting off, you know, for years like, oh, the DMT state and prophecy really resemble each other, but. I never really, you know, put it to the test, so <laughs> I was kind of nervous. Like, okay, I'm, I'm you know, going to go through the text now really carefully and be as, uh, you know, objective and as honest as I could be. I was pleased, and I think I make a strong, you know, case. It isn't a you know, case of you know, cherry picking. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. You know, the phenomenology, the the visions, the voices, the emotions. Uh, of the prophetic state are really closely linked or you know they overlap there's a lot of similarity
1: you are now listening to the soul and wonder podcast episode 77 dmt and the soul of prophecy with rick strassman
2: welcome to the soul and wonder podcast where the
0: conduits of the body depths of the mind and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion through cultural exchange christopher and sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe uncovering the hidden gems of conscious
2: living and holistic healing all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery and now here are your hosts christopher and sarah
1: What is happening, everybody? Christopher and Sarah here, here to welcome you back to another episode of the Soul & Wonder podcast. Every other week, we bring you new interviews with thought leaders, authors, and a bunch of other cool-ass people to support you in your personal growth and spiritual evolution. Whether you're a new listener or you've been with us a long time, we are so stoked that you've decided to join us for another jam-packed episode today. And today we have Rick Strassman, medical doctor trained in psychiatry, psychiatry professor at University of Mexico School of Medicine, and author. And today we're going to dive into his latest book, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy, which is fabulous and really can't wait to bring all this information to you. But before we dive into the interview, we want to remind you to make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And of course, if you love what you hear, please leave us a review and share with your friends and family. It really helps us to get that information out there to the world.
2: So a little bit about Rick. Rick obtained his undergraduate degree in biological sciences from Stanford University and his medical degree from Albert Einstein College of Medicine of Yeshiva University. He trained in general psychiatry at UC Davis in Sacramento and took a clinical psychopharmacology research fellowship at UC San Diego. Joining the faculty at the University of New Mexico in 1984, he first studied pineal melatonin function in humans and demonstrated the first known function of endogenous melatonin. Between 1990 and 1995, he performed the first new U.S. clinical research with psychedelic drugs in a generation, focusing primarily on DMT as well as psilocybin, receiving federal and private funding. He has authored or co-authored nearly 50 peer-reviewed papers, served as guest editor and reviewer for over a dozen scientific journals, and served as a consultant to various government, nonprofit, and for-profit entities. His book, which I'm sure you have heard of or at least seen the documentary... DMT, The Spirit Molecule, has sold 183,000 copies, been translated into 12 languages, and is the basis of a successful independent documentary that he co-produced. He is co-author of Inner Paths to Outer Space and author of DMT and the Soul of Prophecy. Joseph Levy, Escapes Death is his first novel, and he is currently Clinical Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the UNM School of Medicine.
1: And we cover so many different things on this episode today, really just going down the rabbit hole with Rick, and it was such a pleasure doing so. And, you know, he starts out really talking about the catalyst behind his interest in psychedelic research, his inspiration in choosing the Hebrew Bible for his research, as well as the common factors, as well as the differences between the psychedelic and prophetic experience. He also shares his findings regarding his DMT studies and false prophecy. And lastly, his thoughts on the possibility of a DMT synthesizing gene and its relation to the world to come. So much fun, so much information packed into this interview, and we just hope you enjoy this. This was a true pleasure for us, and hopefully it will be for you as well.
2: All right, everybody, we've got Rick back with us, and I was just telling him before we pushed record how excited I was when we got his book in the mail, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy, because I'd honestly never read anything quite like this. Um, This is some pretty incredible research and work that Rick has done, and Rick, we're just so happy to have you on our show.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Rick.
0: Well, thank you. Usually people want to talk about you know dmt itself, and uh, the idea of combining the DMT space with the Hebrew Bible space can be a bit of a challenge, so I'm glad you guys are up for it.
2: Oh yeah, challenge is a good word for it, and I actually really enjoy this challenge because um like you said, like yeah, people have talked about DMT in depth for. Years now, but to cross it with the Hebrew Bible and to even introduce a new, you know, scientific model for this, these experiences that we're having, which we'll get into all that in detail, like to me, it was just mind blowing.
0: Well, in the beginning of the book, I make a really careful effort uh, to walk people by the hand uh, from you know, the laboratory on the research unit giving DMT to, uh, you know, the dusty archives of the text. Uh, but I think the, you know, the effort to uh, kind of guide people to where I arrived at uh, requires some tact and some discretion. So I'm, I'm you know, pretty happy with, uh, you know, how that introductory part uh, came out.
1: Well, it just seems that it's definitely a natural progression from DMT, the spirit molecule, and, you know, really just excited to dive, dive deep into this today. But before we kind of get into your book, we'd love to know what catalyzed your interest in psychedelic research.
0: Well, it began in college uh, with an interest uh, that wasn't that well articulated at the time, but... Uh, the way I describe it now is uh, an interest in uh, the biological basis of spiritual experience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And from that point, you know, your psychedelic research was so in depth, which, you know, many of our listeners probably already know a lot of your background given DMT, the spirit molecule. Um, but at what point did you decide to, cross the psychedelic research with your intrigue of prophecy, et cetera?
0: Um, well, you know, as I mentioned, my interest was as much in spirituality as it was in biology. Um, and even though the DMT study was strictly a psychopharmacology protocol, I had spiritual questions um, I guess the most, uh, cogent one was whether the drug itself without, um, any, um, with, with only the intention of experiencing the drug and describing its effects. Um, but there was no agenda other than just exploring that space. So I was, uh, Wondering if the pharmacology of the drug itself, independent of anything else like a uh, spiritual practice or 12 hours of preparatory psychotherapy or years of meditation, you know, uh, you know, suggestions about what kind of experiences to have, if just the pharmacology of the drug and the acute subjective effects would lead to spiritual growth or spiritual experience, uh, So that was as much a question I brought to the research as wondering what the effects would be on body temperature or levels of endorphins. So um, in preparation for the DMT work or even psychedelic research in general, um, I have always been interested in spiritual things. um, And... Uh, I was raised uh, Jewish, then took a long detour through Zen Buddhism. And in Zen, I found a very comfortable spiritual home that was inspiring and challenging and comported. uh, Its descriptions of the end result of meditation were quite similar to descriptions of big psychedelic experiences. So I thought that I could apply the Zen model to the DMT research. Um, In other words, would DMT cause a spiritual experience? And my benchmark for the spiritual experience was that of Zen enlightenment, which is formless and void and empty, um, no concepts, no perception, uh, no self. So um, that was the... Kind of the criterion for a spiritual uh, experience, the threshold or the you know definition, um, and for a lot of the volunteers, it was too, a number of them came from Eastern meditation practices and uh, were hoping to have that kind of an experience. but it uh, turned out that only one of the volunteers had a typical enlightenment experience, the white light and the merging of his personality into uh, formless ground of being. Um, And this individual was a religious studies major um, and had always wanted an enlightenment experience. Uh, So I thought, well, you know, it isn't the pharmacology of the drug. It's the personality of the individual as much as the drug. And I also uh, came back with a different idea of what the DMT effect is was, which was anything you know, but an enlightenment experience for all but one of our volunteers. It was interactive, it was you know full of content. Uh, I was emotional. Um people thought in a different manner. They were out of their bodies. Um all of those all of those things really Weren't compatible with the unitive mystical enlightenment state. It was a you know different kind uh, of spiritual experience, and I you know call it spiritual because it's you know highly unusual, uh, intensely felt, uh, more real than real. Um, you know, sa- it you know satisfies it, it addresses really the most you know deeply. Held questions that that uh, people have to deal with life and death and their purpose. So, I had to start looking for other explanations uh, of the DMT state other than, uh, at least from the spiritual point of view, other than Buddhism.
2: And that's what inspired you to cross connect it with the Hebrew Bible
0: yes um it's you know, kind of a long story about you know the way i turned to the hebrew bible but uh i'll try to be brief uh you know so you know the exp- the experience of dmt was not compatible with an enlightenment experience at least from the zen tradition that i was familiar with um and the explanatory model brought to bear on those states through the Zen perspective uh, wasn't quite compatible either because one of the hallmarks of the DMT state is it's more real than real. It's the most intensely experienced thing that they've ever undergone. And in the Buddhist model of the mind and its Evolution to enlightenment, the formless, unitive, uh, mystical state, is um, is that the visions and the voices are unreal. Uh, they're just uh, parts of the mind being, you know, shed off as you're attaining the goal of the content-free mind. You know, so for me and for them to understand their visions and uh, you know their voices as unreal. When it you know, felt to them more real than anything in their lives, uh, you know that you know, theoretical model didn't hold together that well or it wasn't that consistent with the data so I you know, considered shamanism, but I'm no expert on you know, shamanism um, i uh, you know learned a little bit about uh, parallel universes, dark matter, uh, those kinds of. New physics models for how uh, one can perceive or understand normally invisible levels of consciousness. You know, but that's not a, a spiritual model; it's more of a mechanistic model. Uh, you know, physics. You know, doesn't address the important issues for people personally, spiritually. Um, you know, so uh b- because of my psychedelic research and my you know publishing about it and you know bringing in the you know Buddhist model uh that caused some friction with the monastic community and myself and uh mm-hmm. I just wanted you know to discuss it, and they re- felt or believed it was off limits for discussion, so we you know parted ways uh Sadly, because I had been getting a lot of encouragement from the community to do this research in the first place. But uh, still, you know, there are politics and any religious organization works hard to maintain the status quo. So, you know, we parted ways and I was floundering a bit like, okay, what now? I've been with these guys for so long. Um, And uh, I ended up at a a, um, metaphysical bookstore Um, and stumbled across some Jewish books, and uh, they, you know, drew me in, and uh, because, uh, you know, Judaism always is referring to the Bible, uh, I then uh, turned my attention, uh, you know, to the Hebrew Bible, Um, and that was for two reasons, I guess. You know, one was, uh, I'm Jewish, and I've got Jewish genes, so I thought, well, uh, I've kind of maxed out on the Buddhist uh, scene. Maybe I'll just return to my roots. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean, also, uh, I—you had an inkling that you know, there was perhaps a model in the Bible that would uh, explain or uh, you know help me understand the DMT effect um, better.
2: That's fascinating, and you know the fact that you mentioned you might as well return to your roots to explore um, was something that I really took away from that experience. And also something that I'd never considered regarding Zen Buddhism and what enlightenment truly means in that practice, and how, you know, you compared it to the experience of these, this DMT and psychedelic experience. And so, you know, to kind of like, Bridge the gap for our listeners. You know, your book, DMT and the Soul of Prophecy, its main thing is that it introduces your new scientific model for spiritual experience that bridges the Hebrew Bible and contemporary psychiatry. And you call this model theoneurology. So, in simplest terms, what does this model truly explain?
0: Uh, Well, well, w- would you like to talk about that or would you like to talk about how the DMT and prophetic states resemble each other? I ought to you know, give some more background, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, whichever you feel um, is a better flow for our listeners to really grasp this concept, because I definitely um, see, you know, we we'll, we'll want to go into prophecy and DMT experience the connections the common denominators et cetera. but whatever order you feel is best for us to properly understand this feel free to flow
0: yeah yeah it's you know kind of a long rambling story but uh you know we'll just get as <laughs> yeah, far as we do uh yeah you know so i i began to read the hebrew bible uh which was really quite challenging uh, because i was raised in the 60s and you know we uh refuted authority of any sort especially from the religions that we were raised in um you know so to start you know reading the bible as an adult uh especially after all those years of zen training It it was tough. Like the first line in the Hebrew Bible is, in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. So I said, well, you know, what does that exactly mean? (laughs) Uh, You know, so I, you know, then needed to start to, you know, research and read about the Hebrew Bible's notions of God. Uh, You know, the creator God, the sustainer God, the merciful God, the just God. Um, and also, you know what is you know the heavens and you know what are the um, what are the heavens and what is the earth? and what does it mean that they were you know created? You, you know, so I figured the first book of the Bible, you know Genesis was going to take a lot of work um, and I you know, found a you know commentary. the important thing when you're reading the Bible is to also have open at the same time one of the major commentaries. Uh, there's three major medieval commentators that uh, make it you know, possible to understand the text. Otherwise, it's just it's just impossible. Uh, you know, there's you know the emotional reactions to all those ideas. There's the cognitive, uh, you know, challenges. You know, what does the text mean? Was it you know saying? Um, And the language requires a lot of poring over. Um, I was fortunate that when I was growing up, I attended six hours of Hebrew school after school, after normal school, every week. Um, And I learned a little bit of Hebrew, so that came in quite handy uh, when I decided that if I really wanted to know what the text means, I needed to read it in the original language. So uh, I started off with a huge commentary on the Book of Genesis. It's like twenty one hundred pages, uh, and wow. I thought, well, wow. if I get through this, I will start to you know have a handle on understanding the text. So one of the you know uh, the main themes of the Hebrew Bible is you know God and man, or you know humans and uh, the deity. You know, being related, they interact. Um, and uh, you know, that communication occurs through uh, what is referred to as the prophetic state, the prophetic experience. Uh, you know, the first encounter Mm -hmm. of man and you know, God speaking to each other took place in the Garden of Eden. Um, and if you expand the notion of you know, prophecy to include any communication between mankind and the divinity, uh, the deity, you know, so most people think of you know prophecy as foretelling or predicting, um, which is mostly an artifact of translation, the you know Greek translation uh, of the Hebrew Bible, which was the first you know, non-Jewish language uh, translation of the text, translated the word navi, which is the Hebrew word uh, for the prophet, um, they translated it as "prophetes," which means to look ahead or, you know, to foretell or, you know, to divine, which was the main function or one of the main functions of, you know, Greek religion, which was divination. You know, so even though foretelling or forecasting, you know, predicting can play a part in a communication between man and God, it isn't a necessary uh, criterion. Um, you know, so any, you know, contact, any communication, verbal or nonverbal, between humans and God uh, is, you know, prophecy. Um, inspiration can be prophecy. Um uh, Dream that turns out to foretell the future, or you know, validate you know, something in uh, the present, could be considered prophecy. You know, the canonical prophets obviously experience, you know prophecy: Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. But there's you know the patriarchs in in the book of of uh, you know Genesis. There's uh, l- there's a l- a lot of communication. Uh, between Abraham and God, between Isaac and God, between Jacob and God, um, you know Joseph interprets dreams, which only occurs as a you know, prophetic experience. you know so there's um a lot of people or you know figures in the Hebrew Bible who you know can be called you know prophets or at least they uh experience the prophetic state then are usually you know, considered in that category.
2: And out, you know, at what point through your research, did you start linking? um, I guess it's linking even the right word, um, you know, comparing the DMT experience with specifically prophecy and in the way that we're taught of what prophecy is.
0: Um, Well, uh, I think it, You know, really, you know, hit home when I looked at the Book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter one. Is this really psychedelic vision? Uh, There's spinning wheels. There's beings with wings which have eyes on their backs. Uh, Mm -hmm. He becomes faint. You know, there's a roaring, you know, sound. Uh, There's weightlessness, flight through space. You know, so if you look carefully at Chapter 1 of Ezekiel, it sounds like a DMT experience. Uh, so I thought I would compare. I would, uh, you know, call the text, you know, for every, you know, psychedelic or, or every, uh, uh, every instance of the prophetic state interacting with angels and God or... or interacting either with angels or God or inspiration or any of the lower states of prophecy and you're characterizing their phenomenology. You know, what are the visions like? Are they moving? Are they stable? Um, What are the emotions like? Is there joy or fear or anxiety? Um, And I use the same rating scale, you know, basically that I had developed for the DMT experience to, uh, you know, categorize or you know characterize you know, the prophetic state. Uh, so you know that was a fairly you know tedious you know process, um, and it, it was also quite you know gratifying because I've got to tell you I was you know kind of spouting off you know for years like oh the DMT state and prophecy really resemble each other, but I never really you know put it to the test. So <laughs> I was kind of nervous, like okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm you know gonna go through the text now really carefully and be as uh you know objective and as honest as I could be, you know like are there levels of you know similarity um and uh yeah, I was pleased uh and I think I make a strong you know case. It isn't a you know, case of you know cherry picking, I mean the evidence is overwhelming, I think uh you know that you know the phenomenology. The, the visions, the voices, the emotions, uh, of the prophetic state are really closely linked or, you know, not, you know, linked, you know, like you said, but, uh, you know, they overlap. There's a lot of similarity.
2: And that kind of leads us, you know, to, yeah. you mentioned in your book, like specific biological metaphysical denominators of the psychedelic and prophetic experience. Um, I'd be curious to hear more about that. I believe you talk about the imagination faculty, um, but also the interpretation of these messages as well, or experiences.
0: Um, yeah, well, the uh, you know, phenomenology of the two states resemble each other—you know, the visions, you know, the voices, the feelings, and whatnot. But you know, clearly, the prophetic state and the DMT state are not the same thing. Um, you know the uh, mm-hmm. you know, prophetic state um, has influenced you know, society for thousands of years. Uh, it's profound. There's you know new ideas there, um, and it's uh, it's really articulated. Um, it's a description of an encounter uh, in the most uh, you know you know pressing you know sense uh between humans and uh and uh the divine you know the dmt state is profound but it isn't that well articulated um and especially because in our dmt study anyway it was mostly well it, it was completely about you know people's their personalities their wishes and hopes you know who they were their character their aspirations and their goals which you know varied; they were across the board. But in the you know in the descriptions of you know prophecy, you know these are extremely uh, you know highly developed you know people uh, spiritually, ethically, you know leaders of the community, uh, you know geniuses in a way. You know, like Isaiah was a genius, Ezekiel was a genius. Um, And they influenced, you know, the society at the, you know, deepest levels and the highest levels. They spoke to kings, they spoke in the courtyards, they were, you know, hassled, they were imprisoned. You know, so that's, you know, the prophetic state, you know, that is a high state. Uh, And, uh, you know, DMT state, well, it, you know, it, you know, looks like prophecy, smells like prophecy, but it isn't prophecy. So, you know, what's the difference? Uh, so, you know, one of the you know, major, you know, differences is that in the uh, prophetic state, there's a lot of interaction, uh, and it's, quietly, it's quite, you know, highly articulated. In the DMT state, the interaction is a hallmark of the effect, but it wasn't that well articulated. Uh, the volunteers, you know, had you know, trouble interacting with the beings, which are so frequently reported in the DMT state. Uh, the language was a problem, interpreting what was being exchanged uh, wasn't that easy. So, you know, people uh, were remarking about the interaction, and they described a few rudimentary examples of interacting with the beings, but it wasn't anywhere near as well-developed as in your prophecy. You know, so that was one of the striking differences uh, between the DMT and the prophetic states is that the prophetic one is really interactive. It's really skillfully, uh, you know, played out. There's questions, there's answers, there's bargaining, there's pleading, there's um, all, all you know, kinds of, uh, you know, just, you know, heart-to-heart uh, prolonged well-developed you know subtle or frankly uh you know or you know more explicit uh things which are being discussed and developed and uh you know questions and uh you know answers to the questions and then your know, following questions you know so it you know was the interaction which really stood out And the main thing which is being transmitted in the interaction is information. So, you know, that then led to, well, you know, what is the information being transmitted in the Hebrew Bible? You know, because, you know, the information that came back from the DMT state wasn't nearly as well-developed as the descriptions of the state itself. You know, people could uh, describe in extreme detail what what the colors were like, you know what you know the visions were like, uh, what the sounds were like, the you know physical feelings. But when it came to coming back with new information, it was mostly around themselves. It was about themselves. Uh, they you know, had healing. They received answers to deeply held questions. They you know had new insight uh, into maybe occupation or you know personal issues. But you know, coming back with profound moral, ethical teachings—some, uh, um, you know, something which would be able to be integrated into their own lives, be integrated into the community in a novel way—you know, that wasn't forthcoming. But you know, those are the types of information forthcoming in the prophetic state, which have influenced. Uh, You know, countries, you know, societies, religions, you know, for so long. You know, so I then decided, well, I need to make, uh, you know, category, you know, I need to establish some categories of the information of the prophetic experience. You know, so I switched, you know, gears, as it were. When I was looking at the phenomenology of the two states, my gold standard was the DMT effect. You know, that was, you know, my comparator. Uh, but when I started to uh, extract what the information was in the Hebrew Bible, um, I then used it as the benchmark uh, state, and then compared the DMT effect, you know, to it, um, as opposed to with the you know, prophetic state. I compared it, you know, to the DMT experience with respect to the you know, phenomenology. With the uh, in the uh, attempt to articulate the information contained in both the DMT and prophetic states, I use the prophetic state as the benchmark. So, you know that you know boils down to you know what is the information contained in the Hebrew Bible, and uh, (laughs) maybe I'll have a drink of water before we tackle that one.
1: And before we kind of dive into that, you know, obviously you had mentioned earlier on the interview that, you know, you were going through Zen Buddhism, and you obviously are, you know, very well read in regards to these different types of religions and what is actually going on. And so, from your experience outside of the Hebrew Bible, you know, of course, your research is strictly on the Hebrew Bible, but did you see any similarities across other religions as well outside of the Hebrew Bible?
0: Um, well, with respect to the other religious streams, uh, yeah, I just don't you know, really know that much about Islam or Christianity. Um I do know that Christian and Jewish views of prophecy in the Middle Ages were deeply influenced by the Arabic writings, you know, the Muslim writings. Uh, you know, the Muslims were the first to translate Greek into another language, which meant that you know people could read Aristotle, you know finally. You know so you know the Muslim medieval philosophers were experts on Aristotle and aristotle you know had a lot of ideas about prophecy and god and you know metaphysics you know the way the invisible realms work you know you know like how they operate you know you know so the muslims introduced the western world you know to aristotle you know through arabic and both the jews and the christians were you know highly dependent on the arabic translations of aristotle the Jews you know more I mean the Christians you know discovered Aristotle you know both through the Jews and through the Muslims, you know, but the Jews were completely dependent on the Muslims in the beginning and weren't you know dependent on you know Christian philosophers you know to understand Aristotle and his you know you know beliefs about the mind so even though i um you know, didn't re- um, really study Muslim or, you know, Christian views of the prophetic state. Um, everyone was, uh, you know, working, you know, with Aristotle at the time. Mm.
1: Thank you for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because you touched a bit on, you know, DMT and false prophecy, you know, this, Idea that perhaps we're having a prophetic state or experience, um, during a DMT or other psychedelic experience, but that because the source isn't necessarily from God itself and doesn't necessarily provide a framework of, you know, higher moral standards or, you know, other spiritual practices for the world at large, that's not necessarily, um, that it could lead us into that realm of false prophecy. And I'm just wondering, what do you think are the dangers of false prophecy at this point in our collective evolution?
0: Um, Well, there's, um, usually, you know, two ways to determine if someone is a false prophet. Um, one is their character, you know, like if they're completely dissipated, uh, you know, jerks, uh, you know, violent, mean, profligate, uh, you know, those aren't the kinds of you know character traits you want to emulate. And you, you know, you do need to look at the bearer of the message. Um, th- the other is the, um, you know, the information that they're communicating. Are they talking about things consistent with the message of the hebrew bible or not uh you know so that you know gets us back to the original you know question about you know what is you know the information or you know what is uh, the message of the hebrew bible you know so there's two uh you know one is a, a particular belief uh which is that there is one god and uh the other is a prescription for behavior you know for how you act and uh that's the golden rule and you know the golden rule in the hebrew bible isn't what's usually understood which is you know to do unto others as you want them to do unto you you know uh because that's you know kind of you know self-centered in a way like uh you will be you'll be nice to people because you want them to be nice to you you know but um you know what's the you know verse is in the hebrew bible it's in uh, leviticus is uh, to love your neighbor as yourself you know so that is a lot more you know selfless because you need to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself i mean uh there's a lot to unpacking that idea so You know, that's the golden rule, you know, to love your neighbor or to love your fellow as yourself. You know, so, you know, the idea promulgated by the Bible is there is one God. And the behavior that's promulgated is the golden rule. You know, so if, you know, somebody claims to be a prophet and they're talking about things that aren't compatible or aren't in line with those two uh you know, those two items, you know, then chances are they are a false, uh, a false prophet. Um, if they're, uh, you know, saying, if they're encouraging, you know, people to, you know, to not believe in one God, you know, to worship other gods, you know, then strictly speaking uh, that's false prophecy. Um, and if they're encouraging greed, uh you know, possessiveness, you know violence, uh, in you know general and for no good reason. Uh, you know then you would wonder if that person was a false prophet because they weren't uh, talking about and you know, promoting the Golden Rule, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. which really just stems down to unconditional love, in which most at the bare bones of every single religion or you know spiritual practice comes down to that that component of unconditional love that
2: oneness
1: that oneness exactly the law of one
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah well you know there's also this you know notion of reward and punishment and you know, righteousness and justice uh which for a lot of you know secular educated humanist you know westerners uh is tough i mean you know because it involves you know punishment for sin as it were but you know if you step you know back from those terms which are you know triggers for a lot of people and just look at it as the operation of of uh you know cause and effect, if you do certain things certain certain causes, then those uh, you know causes have got effects you know like if you're if you're really angry and you stub your toe, you know that's a discouraging uh you know punishment to you know be less angry you know so it could be looked at as an example of, you know, cause and effect or of reward and punishment or, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think it's, you know, the same, you know, phenomena, uh, certain things are a result of certain things that you do. Uh, you know, so it isn't only love or it's a view of love. That's usually not understood to be purely love, but, uh, You know, I guess you could, you could call, or you can incorporate reward and punishment under the umbrella of love. You know, because you know God, you know, loves um, creation, uh, and everything that is in creation is an example of God's love for us, Uh, and so that could. uh, Include reward and punishment. In other, th- in other words, you know, God wants us to be good, and is going to discourage us from being bad. So, you could look at it that way. Uh, but, but uh, still, I think the actual on the ground phenomenon of love and or of of reward and punishment can uh, be a stickler for some people. Um, you know, yeah, it, it 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 isn't just you know purely a loving God; it's also a just God.
2: Mm-hmm. 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 And that kind of leads me into, you know, the the in in your book, you talk about the world to come, right, and how that's the new world, how it's mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, and changes, you know, coming through these prophetic states, as they've been shared with with the world. And so you brought up an interesting topic about a DMT synthesizing gene and how that might relate to this world to come. I'd love if you could touch on that a bit.
0: Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a harebrained idea, but, uh, you know, it isn't completely without, you know, some, uh, you know, bases in reality um yeah you know there's um a lot of well you know there aren't a lot but there are descriptions of uh of a state or of a place or of a time called the world to come uh in the hebrew bible um you know second isaiah there's a lot of uh discussions about what the world to come will will you know be like the wolf sleeping next to the sheep and swords being beaten in the plowshares. You know, there, you know, there aren't any tears. Uh, There's no war. Everybody experiences prophecy. Uh, And uh, the descriptions of the world to come, even though they're not anywhere near as highly developed as those of the prophetic state, they still do partake of DMT-like descriptions. Um, So, if there is any relationship between the DMT effect and the world to come, uh, like is the world to come a perennial or perpetual, you know, DMT experience, or is it, you know, somehow, you know, chaperoned by DMT, or, you know, the mechanisms may involve DMT. It it would require, you know, like everybody being in a DMT state all at once, um, or every organism uh, that is... considered uh you know liable to enter into the world world to come yeah you know so there is a gene uh well there's a couple of genes but there's one you know particular you know finalizing dmt synthesizing gene uh and uh it is responsible for making the enzyme which completes the formation of of uh of you know dmt in any organism which uh you know which you know makes it on its own um and uh, you know you could wonder well it's it's interesting you know this might give me a chance to uh you know tout a manuscript that was um, recently published in us in um, scientific reports, which is a, a imprint of the nature uh, group in Great Britain uh, which is you know one of the world's you know most esteemed you know, scientific organizations um, and in that manuscript, which came out of the uh, laboratory of Dr. Borgegian at the University of Michigan in um, in Ann Arbor, is uh, a description of of you know dmT you know, synthesis in the rodent brain. Um, and its concentrations in the rodent brain are comparable to those which are found for the other commonly known neurotransmitters like serotonin or norepinephrine or dopamine. You know, so there's you know, some, uh, you know, there is evidence, you know, pointing to, uh, you know, the role of, you know, DMT, uh, perhaps, you know, comparable to the role of other neurotransmitters. Um, and another thing that was uh, discussed in that manuscript were elevations of DMT in the dying rodent brain. You know, so those are both indications, perhaps, of a role for, you know, DMT in either, you know, uh, normal consciousness or in the dying state. You know, so if we're going to be discussing the world to come, which is, you know, mostly understood, you know, to be an incorporeal, uh, non, uh, uh, you know, physical state, then the only one that, you know, we're familiar with is what occurs after death. You know, so, you know, those, you know, data that just recently came out, I think point toward, uh, you know, uh, some, at least, you know, mechanistic, you know, role for, you know, DMT in, you know, some of these, uh, even long-term, uh, you know, non-corporeal ex- experiences. Oh, y- yeah. You know, so, um, you mentioned something. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so if, you know, there, you, um, well, there's the world to come it's incorporeal. It's got, you know, features in common with, you know, DMT. And if, uh, you know, by whatever means would be, you know, devised, uh, perhaps that gene is turned on in every organism that contains it at the same time. And, you know, then every organism would, uh, you know, kind of be in this, you know, DMT flash. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so that is one, you know, means, uh, one, you know, mechanism, you know, it isn't the cause obviously, you know, the cause would be quite, you know, higher order. It would be, you know, the deity, uh, you know, calling us all home at the same time, so to speak. Uh, you know, but the mechanism, you know, the nuts and bolts of you know how it might you know possibly happen uh, could be mediated through the you know DMT effect, which points to the importance of your state of mind. You know, when that happens, uh, you don't want to be drunk or you know fighting or uh, in a really bad mood. You know, so that points to the important Yeah, you know, so that you know points you know to the importance of you know what is in your mind, you know, most of the time. You know, so that's where education and you know training, ethical training, education into you know theology and important other you know disciplines can play a important you know role in our state of mind, either you know when we die or. Um, you know, at the end of days, in you know that lead to the world to come, um, and uh, if there is a you know role for DMT in uh, you know paving the way, then it could be with respect to its uh, you know property of stimulating the imagination, uh, and you know, that was you know something that we you know, touched upon earlier. Uh, I think that, you know, DMT in you know, particular and in in general, the you know, psychedelic, you know, drugs stimulates the, um, the imagination. And, um, you know, and uh, by the term imagination, I'm not, you know, calling the phenomena imaginary, but imagination more along the lines of Aristotle, which is… Uh, yeah, so Aristotle, well, actually, if I'm going to start talking about Aristotle, I may need a drink of water.
1: And I I know i am been infamous for interrupting your thoughts on this, but I do want to add one thing quickly before we move on to Aristotle, and I will want to pick that back up. But this idea of a mass activation is really, really exciting to me, and I can probably speak for Sarah as well, because through different channel texts and everything that we've read, um, the past several years, um, many share the same idea of an event and nobody really quite knows what that event might be. And people have, you know, I guess, guessed or theorized of what that, what that might be. But this really is making a lot of sense and resonating with me on a very deep level. And it really reminded me of a time, and I've shared this with Sarah and possibly some other people listening to our show about this experience. Experience I had when I was 15 years old and someone uh, Jehovah's Witness came to the door and brought a pamphlet of this scene it was this picture that depicted sort of what you were saying before how the wolves were with the sheep and everybody was communing together man with bears and except in
2: the pamphlet it was a lion with a child it was a
1: please. lion with a child it was on a prairie it was a very peaceful calm and serene scene and that really never left me i i always thought since that time you know i'm now 32 years old 15 so 17 years ago that there could be a world in which this type of reality exists, and so now, kind of circling back to what you are just telling about, telling us about the world to come, it's very interesting this theory of of a mass activation, and so uh, just really excited me, and I really appreciate you sharing oh. that
2: but you did not become a Jehovah's witness. <laughs> I did not become a
1: Jehovah's witness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you
0: know, but you can still learn from them, and you're obviously inspired by what they showed you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
2: So what um, I think you wanted to touch up on Aristotle really quickly, um, and maybe this is kind of related or not. Um, I know that we're crunched on time here, but you know, I kind of wanted to bring up theoneurology and how you know the neurotheological approach prior to that just in you know implicated that we create a spiritual experience out of something, whereas with your theo neurology, if correct me if I'm wrong, you're suggesting that we are created by the Creator God, you know biologically and spiritually to be able to. Be communicated by this and with this Creator God, and are in fact experiencing that through our 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 being rather than creating spiritual experiences from an experience. Is that correct?
0: Well, yeah, the uh, neuro um, th- theology paradigm proposes you know, that the brain is you know generating spiritual experience or a type of experience, which is later called spiritual, uh, that if, for example, you experience God, uh, the bottom-up neurotheology model would state that you're experiencing the impression of God. Uh, you know that is a brain-generated mm-hmm. experience. Um, you know, so the other is a, a you know top-down model, you know, mm-hmm. Theo neurology, which proposes that uh, the experience is uh, it, it occurs in the brain, but it is the result of uh, of a spiritual. Prelimin or you know prior, uh, you know it's a it's the cause of the brain event rather than the result of the brain event. You know so you know that returns us to Aristotle and his definition of the intellect and the imagination. You know the imagination is the place where you know physical experiences occur. Uh, you know, sensory ones, it, they can be emotions, they can be visions, uh, you know, sight. Well, um, so all of uh, the senses uh, are contained in the imagination. Um, and on the other hand, you know, the intellect is the repository of ideas and abstract notions, uh, anything, you know, non physical. Um, and uh, the two mental you know, functions interact with each other. You know, the intellect extracts in uh, extracts information from the imagination. So I think that you know psychedelics uh, stimulate the imagination from the bottom up. They're stimulating the brain, whereas you know prophecy stimulates the imagination. Uh, from the top down, it's a it's a well, it's what's it's what's called by the philosophers an overflow or an efflux from from God or from the intermeri- the intermediaries between man and God or the spheres. Even one could you know, look at them as spheres, but you know things becoming you know denser and you know denser um, until they're apprehensible you know by you know dense human beings. Um, You know, so, you know, depending on the intellect, depending on the other part of the mind, you would then be able to determine what was the meaning of the display of sensations in the imagination. Uh, So, the medieval idea of prophetic experience is that God stimulates the imagination, but the content of the imagination reflects the message that God is intending to transmit, uh, as opposed to the imagination being stimulated by DMT, which is, you know, you know, it's you know mostly, or it's entirely, the you know product of the person themselves, uh, their pre-existing character, uh, uh you know personality, their you know, goals, their intentions. Uh, so uh, there's a need. Let me think of how to say that. Uh, yeah, you, you, you know, so in you know, the prophetic state, the contents of the imagination are divine. And in the you know, DMT state, uh, the contents of the imagination are personal. Um, and it isn't, you know, completely 100% one way or the other, there's a spectrum, but the spectrum can lie Mm -hmm. more in the spiritual area. If the individual themselves, uh, are refined people, uh, they have, you know, virtue, they avoid vice, uh, they're healthy as, uh, they, you know, do good. Uh, they are concerned about the community, uh, they believe in God, even if they may you know, not have had a uh, first-hand experience. Uh, so, you know, the development of you know the intellect is able, or if you have a you know, highly developed intellect, it's able to extract you know the information, and you want it to be you know divine information contained in the imagination's uh, you know symbols, the the contents. Um, so you would be able, you know, to determine if your intellect were well enough developed, if what you're experiencing is real prophecy or false prophecy. Uh, is it, you know, just yourself that's responsible for the visions, or uh, is it, you know, God that's responsible for the visions? You know, so that's where, you know, the drug, you know, kind of, you know, fades into the background, as it were, and the information, the content what you have in your mind uh, at all times, what you think about, you know, believe in uh, what your you know, highest priorities are, you know, those start to take you know, precedence over the actual, uh, you know, phenomena themselves, you know, because after, you know, the experience is over, you, re- um, you return, you know, to your normal life and you need to, you know, communicate what just took place and to put it into practice.
2: It truly, truly is multi layered.
1: And the integration period is so critical if you want to, obviously, you know, we're talking about prophecy here. If we want to actually have a clear line of thought about what actually happened. And I know just from experience, having um, experience with very few psychedelics, that, you know, it was very personal, um, very – all my stories, my life stories were coming up and replaying, and obviously that's a whole other – conversation in itself, but what you talked about today. And I mean, we could keep going down the rabbit hole. I feel like, I feel like there could definitely be another conversation that stems from this, but we really appreciate all of your thoughts and work that you've put into this. And it really is pretty incredible and and makes a lot of sense and it feels, it feels right. So I just, uh, you know, again, thank you so much for everything. And if there's anything else that you would like to share or finish up any stream of thought that you had, please feel free.
0: Uh, yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Uh, that was a good interview. Um, yeah, and we ought to maybe consider another you know, follow-up one. Uh, there, yeah, there's a lot we didn't, uh, uh, you know, touch upon. Uh, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, if uh your listeners want to get in touch with me they can go to my website com. and uh, just this spring i you know, published my first novel it's called uh, it's called Joseph Levy Escapes Death and it's you know semi-autobiographical it's about a year of really poor health in a small southwest town uh yeah you know so it's pretty black humor but pretty good i think it's getting good reviews and you know, word of mouth is beginning to help with sales. Uh, so, you know, consider purchasing you know that in addition to any of the DMT or more spiritually oriented books.
2: That's really exciting. Yeah. We're going to have to definitely add that book to our shelves. And I really want to encourage listeners, um, you know, because this is such an in-depth topic, you know, Getting the book yourself, DMT, The Soul of Prophecy, is highly recommended so that you can take your time, really sit with the information. Um, And if you have any questions that you feel really curious about that we didn't ask, that you'd love to hear Rick's opinion on or findings or research, feel free to comment on our website on the podcast page, and we'll compile those questions and bring Rick back on. And Rick, maybe we'll even have you on to talk about your novel.
0: Uh, Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you know, pretty deep, you know, but it isn't uh, as you know, reference heavy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's sure it's wonderful. So thank you so much, Rick. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, Rick. We hope you guys liked this episode. It's a lot of science heavy information. You know, Rick is a researcher, and he does such a wonderful job. Studying and bringing these findings to us. His book, I highly recommend it. It's a thick read, but it is worth it, and you learn so, so much. I just love that we have people like Rick in the world to educate us on the science behind psychedelics and, in this case, prophecy as well. So, Remember, if you like this episode, please feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes as well as to leave a review and be sure to join us over on YouTube to catch more information via video. See you guys next time.